welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that we can open it, and that we can know you. We can know you in a way we didn't know you before by reading what you've given us in your word. And we pray, Lord, as we uh, hear your word, we pray that you would feed us, we pray that you would stir us, we pray that you would mobilize us this morning. Father, we pray for those who are missionaries who have gone out to unreached peoples. We pray for uh, Lorian and Holly during this time. We pray that you would be, uh, continue to stir them up and mobilize them. We pray for churches around the world. We pray for local ones like uh, Impact and Center Church and Faith Bible and Revival and churches that are right here in this area. And we also pray, Lord, that you would stir up your church abroad, places where they can't even meet publicly. Lord, we pray that you would be an encouragement to your people. We pray that this Sunday, as your church gathers around the world, that you would do great things through them. We pray for ourselves, Lord. Feed us, fill us, stir us, mobilize us. We pray that your son would receive the full reward of his sufferings in the form of greater and greater worship. And we pray, Lord, that you just bless this time of worship. We pray, Lord, that you would guard your glory and only give your praise to your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're, we're in our uh, Advent series, and uh, Advent means arrival, Advent means coming, and so for the next four weeks we're going to remember Jesus' first coming as an infant. And uh, many of you guys I know practice Advent in your homes, for some of you that's probably a new thing, um, but we've made these guides, and we talked about this last week, but we have these guides for you, they're on the back, on the barrel back there, and um, it's an Advent guide for you to do with your family each Sunday night. Um, to do this with your family. And if you were going to do this, what you do is you start tonight. This is the first night of Advent. And there's a reading. So you do the reading. And then there's a song that you'd sing together. Now, don't be intimidated by that. You could go on YouTube, look up the song with lyrics, and sing along to that. And then pray, and then you would light a candle. And so there's five candles here. You'd want to, we are not supplying candles, but you'd want to uh, light one candle tonight. And then the next week, you'll light the next candle. And then each week, you'll, you'll light another one so that on Christmas Eve, you actually have all of them lit. And you think, why the candles? Well, there's a lot of symbolism of Christ coming into the darkness um, from Isaiah and even from the narrative that we have here in uh, Luke 1 about that. It also is great at keeping your kids uh, interested. They love fire. They hardly ever get to see it. And so it's fun to light the candles. If they're old enough to light it, that's really fun for them to do. So um, we'd, we'd love for you guys to do that. Grab an Advent guide if you'd like to. If you've never done worship in your home, what we call family worship, where you actually lead your family in reading the word and prayer and, and song, this would be a great way to start because the kids are going to look forward to it every week. It kind of gets you started and then you can continue with something else. I know that Brett is uh, gathering a few families to do it together. So if you're interested, talk to this bearded man right here, um, and he'll, he'll set you up. So here we are. We're in the second week of a five-week series in Advent. We're looking at how five different types of people responded to the announcement of Jesus' birth. Last week, we looked at Zechariah. This morning, as the reading, you could tell we're looking at Mary. This passage is a famous passage. It's uh, historically been called the Annunciation which means the announcement. And it's an announcement that the long-awaited Messiah of Israel is finally coming. 
And not only that, but Mary gets to be that Messiah's mother. And so that's the announcement we're looking at. Now, Mary was a very unlikely person to get this honor, to have this mission. Mary was poor. We know that from her song in verses 46 through 55, that she was poor. We know that Mary was from kind of a nothing town. She was from Nazareth, very small town, very not reputable. Uh, You remember what Nathaniel said about it. He said, how can anything good come from Nazareth? She was very young culturally, being betrothed and everything. She's probably maybe 14 years old. She's very young and um, a young teenager. And, um, and she was unmarried. It says in verse 27 that Mary was a virgin betrothed. Now, betrothal um, was step one in a two-step process to marriage. Um, but it was more binding than, um, than an engagement in our context because if Joseph was going to break it off at this point, he'd actually have to divorce her. Now, it was binding legally, but they weren't allowed to be um, sexually intimate with each other until they were fully married. So she's betrothed, she's unmarried, and she's a virgin. Okay, this would make her the most unlikely to be the Messiah's mother, is she's a virgin. This word virgin in here, in the Bible, can mean different things in different contexts. Um, Sometimes it can just mean a young, unmarried woman. But we know in this context that Luke means it to be that she had not been sexually intimate with a man. We know that because of verse 34. Mary's told she's going to bear a son, and what does she say? How can this be, since I'm a virgin? Literally in the Greek is, I do not know a man. So clearly she's not saying, how can this be? I'm young. No, that's not it. How can this be? Because I'm a virgin. So Gabriel has this amazing news for Mary, but Mary's got questions. She goes, how can this be? I'm a virgin. You know, she's she's like, how can this be? I, I learned about this in eighth grade, how this works last year right? And how does this work? And Gabriel answers in verse 34. Take a look at it. The angel Gabriel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, based on this text and a lot of other texts, Christians um, have always believed in the virgin birth of Jesus, that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit without the involvement of a human father. And when we think about, I was talking about somebody, to somebody this morning, in the early 1900s, very common for Christians to back away from the virgin birth. And you might be saying to me, like, come on, Eric. You know, you really believe that? You're a veterinarian. Certainly you don't believe in something so unscientific that a, a woman could have a baby without any kind of intercourse. And guys, it's not that it's unscientific. It's a miracle, okay? Uh, that's really important to say. And it all comes down to worldview, doesn't it? I mean, if you're a theist, if you're like me and you believe there is a God, then a virgin birth really isn't a problem. Because God can do miracles, right? Gabriel says in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. So if there is a God in the world, then miracles aren't unreasonable to believe in. Could you grant me that? If you believe in a God, and I'm not saying there, that you, you, you believe that, but if you believe there's a God, it's not unreasonable to believe that miracles happen if there's a God, right? If you're an atheist, though, if, if you, you know, don't believe there's a God, then, of course, virgin birth is quite impossible. There are no miracles in a world without God. There's also, in a world without God, no hope and no meaning. So you can enjoy that. But it depends on your worldview, guys. It depends on your worldview. A virgin birth is not unreasonable to believe in if you believe in God. But if you're an atheist, you have a much, much bigger miracle you have to explain. You don't have to explain where a baby came from. You have to explain where the universe came from, okay? That's a much bigger problem. Um, I only have to account for a baby, which is not a problem if there's a God. You have to account for a universe without God. How did this place come to be? One author put it this way. Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. 
choose your miracle, right? That's pretty good, huh? So though through this virgin birth, guys, God is doing something truly wonderful. And I think we don't get this, and, and one of the reasons we need to kind of do Advent every year is to remind ourselves that we don't get this, but God became a real human being. Okay, and you're like, oh yeah, I know that. No, 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 no. God became a real human being. I don't think you do. <laughs> Verse 35 says that the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. From this and a lot of other texts, Christians have always believed that from the moment of conception, that Jesus was and is God in the flesh. Fully God and fully man. Wonder at that, guys. That the one who made everything you see and you, and everything you don't see that actually exists, became a man. The one who's always existed from eternity past with the Father and the Spirit, and he's existed as one perfect, holy, spiritual being, has become a real human being. It's amazing. The eternal Son of God who had no beginning, so in his divinity has no beginning, had a beginning in his humanity. I think that's important for you to grasp. There was a time when he had no body, right? And then, ever since about 6 BC, he has had a body. And he still has a body. This is something Christians don't often grasp. They're like, wait, he's still human? He's still human. Remember the ascension? He took his body with him. Where did you think he left it? You know, like he has it, right? He's taken it. He was not a man and then forever is one of us. He's a real human being. He's permanently become one of us. And he's not just um, a man on the outside. I used to think this, kind of man on the outside. It's like God in a man suit, you know, God, like a puppet or something. God's in a man suit. It's not that. He's man on the inside too. God the Son took on a real human soul and spirit, a real human nature, a sinless one, but a real one. He has real human thoughts, real human will, real human emotions. He's man on the inside, too. Hebrews said this, He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And yet he, he didn't become a man in, in a way that he swapped his deity for humanity. He kept his deity too, right? In his earthly life, he remained fully God. He didn't swap uh, humanity for deity. He added humanity to deity. That's really important. He didn't transform into a man not being God anymore, still God. God so much that in Acts 20, Paul says that Jesus' real human blood that was on the cross is God's blood. That's how much he's still God. He's still God. So what we have in this baby, born about 5 BC, is the God-man. Fully God and fully man. Two natures in one person. Want a cool word? Hypostatic union. Okay? Hypostatic union. Teach that to your children. A hypostatic union is the idea that he's one person with two natures. The Belgic Confession, which I love, says this. We believe that by being thus conceived, the person of the Son has been inseparably united and joined together with human nature. This is permanent, right? In such a way that there are not two sons of God or two persons, but two natures united in one person with each nature retaining its own distinct properties. Mmm, Belgic. Fully God and fully man. Two natures, divine and human in one person. Hypostatic union. Everyone, hypostatic union. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a beautiful thing? You need that. Okay. St. Augustine said this, more poetically. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, 
that the bread might be made hungry, that the fountain thirst, that the light sleep, that the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of falsehood, that the teacher would be beaten with whips, that the foundation would be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Or as the Apostle John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the first place he dwelt was in this lowly, poor peasant girl, Mary. Wow, right? What a gift to her. You know, what an honor to her. But guys, also, not only was it an amazing gift, it was also a risky, painful, scary, potentially deadly gift that God gave Mary. You guys realize that? How would she explain this to Joseph? How would she explain this to her family? How would she explain this to the villagers? Right? She lives in a time when sex out of wedlock could cost her her life. Will they believe the whole angel visitation, virgin conception thing? Hey, don't worry about it. It was an angel saw me, and then there was a virgin. Are they going to believe that? Very unlikely they're going to believe that, right? It's a great blessing, guys, to be chosen for God's mission, but it's also a great danger. Mary had been chosen for a risky, painful, scary, potentially fatal mission. How does she respond? 14-year-old girl. How does she respond? Take a look at verse 38. This is what she says to it. She knows the cost. She says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that is amazing, like teenage girl faith, teenage poor Hebrew girl faith? It's amazing. She consents to this. She consented to this. She said, Let it be done to me. We often talk about the faith and courage of like Joshua and David and Daniel and Paul and all the. I think this is the most amazing courage in the Bible, aside from Jesus. It's this little Hebrew girl that goes like, oh, right, let's roll. It's crazy, right? The risks she takes, and she not only consents to it, she's got a little song about it, right? We see that at the end of this passage. See how it's lined out? It's, it's a song. She's like, you know, let it be according to your, to your word, and, and then she breaks into song. It's a musical, right? She has a little song about it. She's happy to do it. Guys, amazingly, Mary takes the risk. And of course, we know the whole story, so we know that Mary was completely right to take this risk, right? That risk was right for Mary. It was the only right choice for Mary, right? Guys, God has placed a risky, painful, scary, potentially fatal mission before all of us. Not by an angel, but by the mouth of his own son. Here, here's it, here it is, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is that risky? Is that scary? Is that potentially fatal? It is. God has placed this mission before us, and it will take risk to accomplish it. And let's think about where we are with our mission. Like, we've been clearly given a mission. Would you all agree that this is our mission together? How, where are we at with it? Well, to, to find out where we are with it is he says it needs to be taken to every nation. And if you look at that word, it means really every people group. And a, a people group would be a, a group of people that, that are kind of isolated in their either language, custom, geography, something like that, that they are a distinct group that needs to be reached. Um, there are currently, guys, 7,000 unreached people groups, Okay. An unreached people group is a group of people that lack enough Christians to evangelize itself, okay? Once you get to a point where you have a certain amount of Christians, 
then those people, they evangelize their neighbors, just like we're called to do here. Well, there's certain groups who don't even have enough Christians to actually get the evangelism ball rolling there. Unreached people groups, guys, have no Christian neighbors, okay? So your neighbor might be unchurched, but your neighbor's not unreached because your neighbor has a Christian neighbor, and it's you, okay? And so basically, these people have no way of ever even hearing the gospel in their lives unless something changes. There's 7,000 unreached people groups. Do you know how many people are in them? Three billion. The total is three billion people. Three billion unreached people groups. And you could say, well, you know, they need to do evangelism. They can't do evangelism there. There's not enough Christians to do that. And none of these people will be reached without significant risk. Significant risk. Financial risk, credibility risk respect. These are the things we risk on mission, right? We risk our money. We risk our credibility. We risk our our respect of people. We risk our comfort. We risk our health. We risk our lives. And not all of you guys are called to, to go to an unreached people group, right? But we're all called to take a risk and do our part, aren't we? We're all in this together. And so some of us are called to go. Holly, Lorian, they went to unreached people groups, right? And we're called to, to support that and help that. We're not all called to go, but some of you guys probably are called to go. In a group this size, it's very likely there's more. I mean, Holly, Lorian, there's probably more, in the, even in this group, that are called to go in an unreached people group. But all of us guys are called to go across the street, across town, and some of us are called to go across the world, right, to bring the gospel. And that all requires risk. I think we've gotten a weird idea in our culture and stuff that somehow we have been chosen for a risk-free, danger-free, faith-free Christianity, right? Haven't we? It's a weird deal. We're like, you know, oh yeah, them. Well, bummer for them. You know, they got to risk things. We're happily in an environment where we don't have to risk anything to follow Jesus, and it's just not the case. There is no such thing. Um, you guys heard the story of John Allen Chow, and I know his story is controversial if you go online. Um, you may have heard of him. Um, he didn't, wasn't even known until last month, but 26-year-old American missionary, and for years, John wanted to bring the gospel to an unreached people group, and he prepared for that. He studied some linguistics. He became an EMT, so he knew some medical stuff. He uh, studied anthropology, and then last month, John decided, very controversially, to illegally land in, on an island in India, the islands called the North uh, Sentinel Islands, and, um, and he knew it was dangerous. Um, these particular people have not had outsiders on the island for I think about 12 years, the last time people showed up, there were some fishermen that had this idea that there was treasure there. They went there and got killed. Um, before that, in 04, when there was the tsunami, it flew a helicopter over to check on them, and they're like aiming their bow and arrows at the helicopter. I mean, this is a very inhospitable island. And they had their reasons, reasons going back to the 1800s why they might be inhospitable. But um, he knew he was going somewhere really dangerous. And last month, he finally went in a canoe, took three trips there. The first trip, kind of scouted out. Second trip, he got shot at by one of the islanders, um, bow and arrow. The arrow, like, pierced his waterproof Bible, you know, right in the Bible. And the third trip shows that in his journal, it shows that he was really concerned about it. He said, you know, he might die. He doesn't want to die, but he really feels like these people need to hear the gospel. And so he went, and he was very worried they might kill him. And it looks like they did. Fishermen saw a couple days later them dragging his body along the beach. And um, I was reading, you know, the various different articles, and there's a lot of, like, evangelical hand-wringing, well, maybe we should rethink missions, and I'm like, who are you? You know, like, this is not who we are. We don't, we don't go, oh, someone died, we should stop doing this, right? 
um, Brahma Chaney, he is a professor at the um, Center for Policy Research in New Delhi, India. This is what he said about it. He said, Chow repeatedly trespassed on the island, and they lost their patience with him. There's faith, and then there's mental illness. He didn't understand the line between faith and doing something absolutely nutty. Do you agree? Would Jesus agree? Was he, was he nutty, or was he right? Guys, risk is right. It's absolutely essential to fulfill our mission that we take risks. All of us, right? It's a risk of love. It's a love for those people that, that were there that, you know, they have no way of hearing the gospel and they have no eternal hope without it. I mean, there's, people don't get saved a different way if they don't hear the gospel. Like, the gospel's absolutely necessary for them to come to faith. And, and here he is taking the risk of love. It is also a love for Christ, you know, that Christ would be known and he'd be worshipped in that place. Um, and guys, this is why we're here right? We exist to display and declare the gospel for the glory of God and the joy of all people. I don't know if you have like a better life mission than that, but let me give you one if you haven't ever written one. We exist to display and declare the gospel for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And, and I think it's a morning for us to think, have we, when we look at Mary, to think, have we withdrawn in fear from the risks that God's called us to to make Jesus known? Have we withdrawn from financial risk? I mean, we're so like, we're so pension, savings, protected financially. There's no risk financially. Have we, have we, have we backed away from financial risks? Have we, have we, is there a credibility thing? You know, a lot of this stuff in the media is like, hey, those islanders that could have gotten sick with flu from him or all these other things, and they make you feel like you're stupid, you know? Like, you know, they try and show you that missions is not respectful, you know? It's somehow not compassionate. Have you, have you backed away because of comfort? I mean, a lot of us, we backed away just because we don't want to feel awkward, but guys, I can guarantee you on your tombstone, it will not say, she died of awkwardness. Okay, like it's incredibly unlikely. It's like, here lies Jane. She died of awkwardness. Like it doesn't happen. Okay. Um, is it um, health? Is it life? I mean, guys, in our culture, we worship financial security. The, we worship comfort. We worship respect. We worship health. Like, oh, you don't want to do that. You could risk your health. It's like, Really? Like, life's a vapor, guys. And, and, and we could risk our lives. Guys, our people, our people, Christians, we've never cared that much about stuff like that. I mean, read church history, read Acts. We've never cared about stuff like that. Our people don't care that much about stuff like that. Our people don't worry about losing those kinds of things. We take a risk of love. And, and we want Christ to be known more than we want to be safe and comfortable. Guys, Mary made the right decision. Risk is right. Risk is right for you. And so how do we follow her in this? What, what gave Mary courage to take on this mission God had given her, even though it's super dangerous? Well, let's look at what Mary saw in this announcement that encouraged her to take the risk. And I think she, she saw the amazing blessings of God's calling, and that made her take the risk. And I say that because if you look through the text, you'll find over and over again, you can circle the word favor, circle the word blessing. It's all over the dialogue in here, right? Um, risk is right, guys, because the blessings are great. Mary saw the amazing blessings of God's calling on her, and she saw that she was favored and blessed, and so she went forward. Just as a side note, guys, the, in social media, the hashtag blessed is really common, right? You see that? Hashtag blessed, you know? And the hashtag blessed, what it really is mostly about, if you scan through it, is material, financial, you know, it's the stuff you have, the money you have, the, the means you have. I'm blessed. You guys realize that the word blessed occurs in the New Testament about 112 times, and it never references financial prosperity? 
112 times. So if you're using the hashtag blessed for financial prosperity, like that's a new use of the word, okay? That's not the New Testament use of the word. So how is Mary hashtag blessed? Okay, let's see. I see four in here. Here's the first one. Risk is right because the blessings are great. Mary was blessed to bear God. God himself came in Jesus and dwelt among us and first dwelt in Mary. It's such that the Council of Chalcedon in 451 says that Mary is, was the Theotokos, which means the God-bearer. That's what they called her. She was the one that carried God in the flesh inside of her. What an amazing comfort this must have been to Mary as she faced danger and disgrace, that she could just like feel that growing belly of hers and know that God, her creator, was dwelling within her. You think that'd make her more courageous? You think that'd make her more willing to take on some risk? She could feel God himself dwelling in her womb. Mary was right to take the risk because of the blessing of being the God-bearer. And so are you. You just realize that? After Pentecost, every single believer has God himself dwelling in them. You just realize that? You are a God-bearer as well. You carry God within you wherever you go. Wherever you take the gospel, God is in you. It's not just you like wandering over and telling somebody the gospel. You're carrying God over there. Look at container carrying God around, right? And so you don't go alone. Remember what the Great Commission said. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, right? He's in us through the Holy Spirit. And so when you bring the gospel to somebody, he will speak through you. You don't go alone. You're not doing this alone. He will speak through you. He will work through you. Risk is right. You are a bearer of God. Secondly, Mary was blessed to be in the family of the king. This is huge, right? Mary was the king's mother, Okay, and certain theologies talk about Mary, the queen of heaven, and all these kind of titles that aren't in scripture. I think this one's good enough. She's mother of the king of the universe. That's amazing, right? She actually was the mother of Jesus. And think about how that would have given her courage to face danger and disgrace. You know, people are disrespecting her. They're saying all kinds of crazy stuff about her. There, um, there's, there's dangers she faced like crazy, especially in those early years. And the whole time, she knows that she is in the family of the king. Isn't that amazing? It's so good. And you know what? So are you. You guys remember in Mark 3 when um, there's a whole crowd outside the house and Jesus is in there with his disciples and somebody yells in, hey, your mom and your, and your brothers are looking for you. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said this. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked around at his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And this morning, to those of you who are believers, Jesus looks out and he says, here are my brothers and sisters. Your family of the king. You know, and, and going into the world, across the street, across town, uh, you know, across the world to share the gospel, you go as a brother or sister of the king. And there's authority to being a part of the royal family. I think you guys have probably dwelt on that enough. There's authority that comes from being a part of Jesus' royal family. Remember how the Great Commission starts? All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, therefore go. He sends us with that authority, his authority, into the world to bring the gospel. You guys remember the 72 when they were sent out? They were disciples. They weren't the apostles. They were sent out, and they were sent out to preach and cast out demons and all that. And they came back from their little missions trip, super excited, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said this, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, speaking about the demonic powers, and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are in heaven. When you take the gospel across the street, across town, across the world, you go in the king's authority. Have you thought about that? That'll make you take a risk, won't it? Like you are the sister or brother of the king of the world. And we can lose a lot of things on this mission, right? Even our lives. But you know what? Ultimately, our victory is sure. Because the king is our brother, our very big brother, okay? And he always wins. Risk is right because the blessings are great. Mary was the bearer of God. She was family of the king. And then lastly, Mary was blessed to believe. I'd never seen this one before. I preach on Mary every year. And part of the reason I preach on Mary every year is because we're Protestants. And so Catholics have a very exalted view of Mary, all these things. And so we overreact, right? We overreact and don't talk about her at all. Don't talk about her. But this text says that all generations will call her blessed. You guys realize that a lot of accidents happen on the road through overcorrection. Have you ever been there before? You ever had somebody come near you and you went, ah, you know, and then you practically have an accident? In theology, it's the same thing. Overcorrection. Lots of accidents in overcorrection. This is somebody we need to talk about. Right? And, and I never noticed this, though, in preaching on this every, every year, is verse 45, because Elizabeth points out that Mary was blessed to believe. Take a look at verse 45. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary saw the blessings of Jesus were great. She believed. Her belief is in itself a massive blessing that she has, Right? Believing is the greatest blessing because it gives us access to all the blessings of Christ, right? You would not have Christ without believing. Mary was blessed to believe. Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believes, right? Many, many, many people, guys, don't believe, right? You know that. And, And they don't see that Jesus is a huge blessing worth risk. They, They don't see the great blessing of trusting in Jesus, and therefore they won't take a risk to follow him. Why would they? If they don't see the attraction of Jesus, why take a risk for him? Um, And and, uh, Mary talks about that here in her song in the Magnificat, which is 46 through 55. She talks about how there's certain people who are the mighty and the exalted and the rich. That's how they see themselves. See myself as rich and exalted and mighty. And, And God opposes those people because they pridefully don't want the Messiah. And then there's those who see themselves as humble and hungry and poor, and they seek after God's mercy. That's a gift, guys. That's a blessing. It's a blessing you have that. If you're this morning clinging to Christ, you're super blessed to have that. Faith is the ability, guys, to see that we are humble, hungry, and poor and in need of God's mercy. That's what faith is, an ability to see. It's the ability to see that we're sinners in need of God's grace. That we needed Jesus to go to the cross to pay for our sins to earn our salvation for us. But unbelief, guys, unbelief tells us that we don't need that. That we're rich and we're mighty and we're, we're good. We're good people. Why wouldn't God accept me? Look at me. You know, I'm a good person, right? Boy, he'd be wrong if he didn't accept me. How could a good God not accept a person like me? right? That's the rich. That's the mighty, right? We think we don't need mercy. We think we can pay our own way, right? We're the type. We want to pay our own way. Or we say, oh, I don't need a handout. I need a handout from Jesus. You know what Jesus said to proud people like that? He said this in Revelation 3.17. You say, I am rich and I prosper and need nothing, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the state we're all in without Christ, right? And faith gives us the ability to 
to see that. So how do we, how are we made with God? How do we go from that poverty to spiritually rich and clean and clothed? How can a sinner be made right with a holy God? It's by believing in Jesus. That's why belief is such a blessing. Jesus is the one, the only one who is truly rich, truly pure, and truly mighty. And he came into the world to become poor, filthy, and naked on the cross for you. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. That's what the hypostatic union was for, right? The hypostatic union, among other things, was for this, that God might be able to become God forsaken. You guys realize on the cross that God was God forsaken for us. Isn't that amazing? That's why he had to become both fully God and fully man. He was already fully God, but they had to add, deity, add humanity to himself. God became a man so that he could be on the cross for us, poor, filthy, naked, and forsaken for your sin. Faith's a gift to see that, to know you need that more than anything else. You guys remember when you first knew? Remember when you first realized that you were poor and naked and filthy and that you needed Jesus? It's an amazing thing. That's faith. That's a gift of faith. It's a gift of faith to know that you could lose everything else and that would be enough. You know, that you could lose all your money and respect and comfort and health and even your life and still have everything you need. Have you guys thought lately about that? Have you thought lately about how blessed you are to believe? Blessed are those who believe. Jesus said this, blessed are your eyes because they see and blessed are your ears because they hear. As this morning, if you're believing in Christ, like you are so blessed. Like, that is something that's incredible. And if this morning you have not trusted in Christ, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's that simple. You'd believe upon him and be saved. What I just said about the cross, you say, that's for me. You know, I knew I was filthy. I knew I was needy. And now I know what I need. I need Christ. It's amazing. And Jesus told this parable about himself and about the kingdom. He said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then enjoy over it, sells everything he has to buy that field. It's a really cool, it's only one verse. It's really cool. So the image is this guy's, you know, in somebody else's field, finds this treasure and goes, whoa. And he buries it. And he goes to buy the field. And he's got a yard sale and he's selling everything he can. All of his stuff. And the townspeople are like, you're crazy. What are you doing? You know, and that's the way the world looks at us when we take risks for the gospel. They go, what are you doing? That's crazy. But he knows. He knows he has the treasure. The treasure is Jesus, guys. Mary's courage is no mystery. It's only a mystery to those who haven't seen the treasure. Right? You guys have seen the treasure. Mary's decision makes total sense. But if you haven't seen the treasure, it doesn't make sense. She knew that risk was right because the blessings are great. Mary made the most rational choice possible for somebody that knew what she knew which is that Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field. And you know it too. And you're blessed. So Jesus has laid this mission before us, right? Just like he laid a mission before Mary. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, and some of those people are unreached people, right? That are far from you. You'd have to go or you'd have to send somebody. But we've got to send somebody or go. Somebody's got to take this risk, right? We've got to take risks at home so that they can take risks there. That's one. And then you've got unchurched neighbors, which are right near you, right? And none of those people will be reached without risk, right? I mean, even when you take something real simple, do one real simple step, there's a risk to it. There's risk to the mission, just like there were risks for Mary. Mary shows us that risk is right because the blessings are great. And guys, this is what people like us do. 
You know, if you read church history, you read Acts, this is what people like us do. This is what our people have always done, whether it's John Chow or Lorian or Holly or you next week when you have like super awkward conversation at work or in your neighborhood. Like, this is what we do. Love takes a risk to make Jesus known. Um, I'm a horse vet and uh, met this new client this week. He was a super interesting guy. And uh, he was more interesting than I knew. He, so he used to be a sheriff's deputy. And, um, and he told me this story after I had been in conversation for a long time. I just found him interesting, kept asking questions, a little bit of an interviewer that way. And I could tell that the story he told me isn't something he tells people normally. And um, he had retired from the sheriff's department um, right around the time the U.S. invaded Iraq. And afterwards, during the rebuilding of the military, we're looking for experienced law enforcement people to go and train um, police officers in Iraq. And I was like, you did that? You know, I mean, it was just because you know, we know how dangerous that is. And, um, and, and he, you know, it, and it cost him a lot. He told me later, and I could tell he didn't tell the story very often. He was very emotional about it. But he was there with a buddy that he had met. They were about six months into this. And they were eating lunch. And a suicide bomber came in to where they were eating and blew himself up. And so this guy lost the friend. And then he lost vision in one of his eyes and hearing in one of his ears. And obviously has, like, severe PTSD since then. And I asked him, like, why did you take that risk? So here's a guy, he's retired. He already risked himself for us, you know, for 30 years. Like, you deserve a break. Why did you go? And he said this to me. He said, um, my son at the time was an Army Ranger, and uh, he was going on missions there. And I just thought to myself, how can I stay in the safety of retirement when he's out there in harm's way? just felt like I needed to do my part. I was like, that resonates with me as a dad. Like, he'd be like, I need to go out there too. I need to take some of this. And I couldn't help but see, guys, the parallel between that and this week's message. Why should we be out of harm's way when our people are in harm's way? Why shouldn't we take a risk? Why should we be safely in retirement when our family's out there, right? We're at least, we at least should take a risk financially for them. We should at least be praying for them. Um, We should at least be taking more risk here with unchurched people, right? That's one way we could bear the mission with them. You know, Lorian's out there, and that's a risky place to be. I can't, on a recording, tell you exactly where it is. I could tell you afterwards. Super risky place to be, right? How can we, we could support her financially, we can pray for her, can encourage her, and then we could take some of the risk here, right? We could, we could pick up some of the risk in, in our own neighborhood. We could pick up some of the risk at our own workplaces. We could risk, because guys, risk is right, because the blessings are great. Advent is a season of announcement, and we challenge you guys to um, reach out to your neighbors and coworkers. And this is going to sound weird after all my stories, but uh, we said bake cookies, okay? You can start there. You can bake cookies um, and, and bring them to a neighbor, bring them to a coworker, and include, you know, one of these invite cards, um, one of these invite cards to, to church. But even more importantly, I think, would be to, to include one of these. It's a, we got a whole stack of them back there for you guys. We'd love for you guys to maybe commit to like six of them. I, I don't want you to spam them out. I want you to like give them you know, as a meaningful gift, but put them in there. Put a little note because the first two chapters of Luke are the Christmas story. Put a little note in there and like, hey, I thought you'd love reading the first two chapters of Luke. You could read more <laughs> and, um, and give them that. And then, and then pray and let's see what God will do. You could, you could maybe utilize our podcast. Um, I put a message on there that's not mine. It's a Tim Keller message on our podcast. If you go to the website on these cards um, and click podcast, I put a message from Tim Keller called, Who is this Jesus? It's the proof of the resurrection, historical proof of the resurrection. Um, I'm going to slowly transition. They're all going to be Tim Keller messages. No, I'm just kidding. But um, 
if he's mad, we'll, we'll take it down. But you could use that. That's something you could share with people, use as a resource. But So cookies, Gospel Luke, handwritten note, pray, and let's see what God does. And guys, we're, remember, we're called to be witnesses. Jesus is witnesses, not his attorney. Okay? A lot of us are like, oh, I can't do the attorney thing. Can't make a solid case for Jesus. To, you're called to be a witness. You tell what you know. Simple. He will take care of the rest. And what's cool is you guys have already responded. I heard a whole bunch of people that have already done it, given Gospel Luke to somebody um, with a note and things like that. Um, I heard one family, this was cool. This isn't one, something we talked about doing, but they were like, you know what? We don't know our neighbors. We're going to have a, a neighborhood Christmas party. So they're inviting all their neighbors who they don't know into their house and for the, for the purpose of getting to know them to share Christ with them. Um, I know one guy who yesterday had a guy that was, um, needed a jump start that was in his neighborhood, and he came and knocked on his door, one of the guys in our church, and uh, wanted help, and he said he kind of looked shady, you know, yeah, but he went out there and helped him out, and, and um, his car started, and his, the guy's phone started working, and then it ended with the two of them praying for the guy's salvation together, and the guy was like, I got goosebumps, you know, and then he like, took off, so I don't know what happened there, but goosebumps are good, you know, with these kind of situations, and so you guys are already doing it, guys. People like us do stuff like that. That's what our people do. And, and we're just getting started. I mean, imagine if we took more risks, you know? It's amazing what we could see God do. Um, it, let me just ask you this. What is God calling you to risk more to make his son known? Is it credibility? Is it relationships? Is it money? Is it your health or even your life? Guys, risking those things is right. Because the blessings are great. Um, people like us don't worry about stuff like that. It's what our people do. You know, we risk for love. That's, I mean, you look at church history, that is what we do. There is no such thing as risk-free, danger-free, faith-free Christianity. Mary risked it all, and she was right to do it, and you're right to do it too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for um, the example of a very young teenage girl growing up in a town that nobody would have heard of if your son hadn't come out of there. Uh, um, just no means... And then you put before her this, this deadly, scary, painful, awkward mission. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And so, Lord, as we worship, as we take communion, we just want to lay our hearts before you, lay our lives before you, lay our, 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 our money before you, lay our credibility before you, lay our um, health before you. And just say, let it be done to me according to your word. Lord, if our lives could even provide a tiny flicker of light in this dark world to spotlight your son, then do what you want with us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us new eyes for our mission here and abroad. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us praying hearts to want to seek, to say again and again, do unto me according to your word. We pray, Lord, that as we, like Hebrews talks about, we love and encourage one another and we stir up one another to love and good deeds. We pray, Lord, this is something we'd stir each other up to do. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you that you've given us the gift to see these things and to know these things and to rejoice in these things. We thank you that you've given us a part in your family, sons and daughters of the King. And we thank you, Lord, that you have indwelt us with your very Holy Spirit, that you, God, live within us to speak and to act and to move within us powerfully. We thank you for that, Lord. Give us the courage that goes with that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.